Bill Conley of ESPN has Tennessee ranked in the 100s in terms of returning production for the 2024 football season. What's this mean and why I have an issue with some of this? All that and more here on a Friday, Locked On Balls. You are Locked On Balls, your daily podcast on the Tennessee Volunteers. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, good Friday morning, everybody. Welcome to Locked On Balls. I am Eric Kane. So happy to have you guys here making Locked On Balls your first listen each and every day. Shout out everydayers for making this podcast what it is. It's a free download wherever you listen to your podcast. It's a free subscription on the YouTube channel as we continue to make this podcast grow. We're a part of the Locked On Podcast Network, where it is your team every single day. Got a fun show coming up today. Bill Conley, some nerd stats. It's about that time of the year. Uh, he'll have his SP Plus ranking sometime next week, but earlier this week, he put out um, returning production rankings for all 134 FBS football programs, and Tennessee's down the list quite a bit. I'll tell you what that means. And then in segments two and three, going to bring on our buddy Ryan Shumpert of uh, Rocky Top Insider uh, to preview Tennessee at Texas A&M, uh, Tennessee this final home stretch of the SEC season, and of course Tennessee baseball with opening day just a week away. That and more coming up here today on Lockdown Balls. Big shout out to FanDuel Sportsbook, where you can make every moment more over at FanDuel Sportsbook. Okay, so... Again, like I said, the SP Plus rankings will be out um, sometime next week for ESPN from Bill Conley. And again, those are some big-time nerd stats, and it's not for everybody. It's kind of like pro football focus, but I think it can tell a lot about where your roster is and where the overall health of your program is and kind of how that changes throughout the offseason. And so why I like to look at these returning production stats is because a lot of the times when you have a whole lot of production returning, you're set to take a you know a, a step forward. You're step to uh, you're set up to you know add a couple wins to your resume. Look at Missouri this past year. Uh, Missouri in the offseason was ranked number two by Bill Conley of ESPN in terms of returning production. Uh, at least in the in the month of August, it kind of shifts a couple of times throughout the offseason. And then look at Missouri this year, one of the best uh, programs in, in the SEC, one of the best uh, seasons in, in program history for the Tigers. Uh, if you look at Kansas who was ranked number one, Missouri, who was ranked number two, Florida State, who was ranked number three, and Michigan, who was ranked number four. All four of those programs improved by a couple different games, and of course Michigan won the national title. Florida State was on the playoff picture looking in. Missouri did what it did, and of course Kansas as well. So it doesn't always mean that if you're ranked down towards the bottom or middle of the road that your season's going to be a failure. Um, Connor O'Gara over at Saturday Down South points out that uh, and I agree with them because immediately the, the the team I thought of was Alabama. And I'm like, you know, Alabama lost a ton as it does each and every year. I don't have the exact numbers on Georgia, but Georgia's in that same category. Georgia lost a ton last year and was still, in my opinion, probably the best team in the country, but it didn't make the 14 playoff. But Alabama specifically, you know, looked and they were ranked 122 in percentage of returning production heading into this season, and it improved. Um, you know, this past season and won the SEC championship. And of course, was the college football playoff team and, and bowed out in the, uh, the semifinals game. So it's not an end all be all, but it's something interesting to kind of track. Uh, this is where SEC teams rank in terms of returning production from ESPN's Bill Conley, um, heading into the 2024 season. Uh, number 18 is Texas A&M. Number 25 is Texas. 
Number 31 is Missouri. Number 32 is Florida. Number 47 is Georgia. Number 50 is Auburn. Number 59 is South Carolina. Number 60 is LSU. 67 is Oklahoma. 68 is Ole Miss. 76 is Vanderbilt. 94 is Tennessee. Uh, so when I, when I was referencing the 100s, that was on the offensive side. But 94 overall in terms of offense and defense is Tennessee. 102nd is Kentucky, 109th is Arkansas, 115th is Alabama, 122nd is Mississippi State. So uh, you look at that. I mean, Tennessee's not going to be the 94th best team in the country this year. It'll be much better. Uh, Ole Miss is going to be much better than number 68. Again, this is not an end-all, be-all. Alabama, again, it did lose some players to the NFL draft. It lost some players to the transfer portal. But Alabama's not going to be the 115th best team in the country. And if you remember, you know, back in years prior when Pruitt was here at Tennessee, and you talk about returning productions and returning starts and everything. Tennessee had a high number each and every year in Pruitt, you know, ranked inside the top 10, but those seasons weren't so great. And we remember those, you know, not, not too fondly. So nonetheless, here is how Bill Conley kind of ranks and the weights that he puts on his rankings in terms of returning production. Uh, percent of returning wide receiver and tight end, this is offense, percent of returning wide receiver, tight end receiving yards, 23.5% of the overall number. Percent of returning quarterback passing yards, 24% of the overall number. Percent of offensive line, uh, percent of returning offensive line snaps is 47.5% of the number. So that's about half right there. And the percent of running back rushing yards is only 5%. So when you look at where Bill Conley has Tennessee ranked, and it's all the way down here at 94th overall. Yet Tennessee on the offensive side, according to Bill Conley, returns 46% of production at 107, 107th ranked in the country. So if we kind of look at that, well, let's talk about it. Percent of re returning receiver and tight end receiving yards. Well, Brew McCoy didn't have that much last year because he was hurt. Uh, Squirrel White is returning. That's a big one. Ormel Keaton is gone. You had Dante Thornton that didn't do much last year. You had Caleb Webb and Chaz Nimrod who played but didn't do an awful lot. So, uh, And your tight ends are gone, both Jacob Warren and McCallum Castle. So I see 23.5% of the number being a big hit for Tennessee simply because you just weren't that great and the guys that you had were either hurt or they're gone now. Percent of returning quarterback passing yards is 24%. Your starting quarterback's gone. And though Nico Iamaliava's got a lot of praise and a lot of hype coming in, it's still going to be a, a first-year starter where your starting quarterback left. And that's why that, that's another point about this end-all, be-all. Tennessee takes a dip in these rankings because you're losing your starting quarterback, and the guy that's going to take his spot was not a transfer coming in who started elsewhere. Uh, but Nico has such a higher ceiling, and I think Tennessee's going to take a step forward there. But in these returning production rankings, Tennessee takes a hit there because you're losing a starting quarterback. Uh, offensive line percentage of those snaps coming back. Well, you lose Gerald Mincy, who played a ton. And, um, you were, I mean, J.J. Crawford, who played some, but you and Ollie Lane, who played a lot. But you return an awful lot as well. You return John Campbell, return Cooper Mays, return Javante Spragans. Uh, you're going to return Dane Davis, who played a lot for you, Jackson Lampley, Andre Carrick. You're adding to Lance Herr, but he wasn't a true starter at, his, at LSU. So you take a little bit of a hit there, but not nearly as much as you would. And then where Tennessee takes the biggest hit in terms of percent of returning running back rushing yards, which you've already small, and of course, a 1,000-yard rusher in Jalen Wright, that's only 5%. So that didn't make up an awful lot. So Tennessee is ranked again 107th in returning offensive production at 46%, according to ESPN's Bill Conley. I can't really disagree with that because... 
I think the way he weights things, it makes a little bit of sense. That doesn't mean that Tennessee's going to be horrible. Um, on defense, percent of returning tackles, 69.5%. So 70% of his weighted rankings for defensive returning production is based on the tacklers you bring back. Well, let's think about this. Tennessee says goodbye to Jalen McCullough, tackle machine. Says goodbye to Aaron Beasley, tackle machine. Um, says goodbye to a lot of starters in the secondary that we'll get to in a moment. So I can see that taking a hit because specifically Aaron Beasley and Jalen McCullough, who had a lot of tackles for you, are, are, are now gone. Uh, percent of returning passes defensed, interceptions, or broken up. That's 12%. And when you think about it, the entirety of the secondary is going to be brand new. So that makes a little bit of sense, but it's only 12%. A percent of returning tackles for loss, 10.5%, where you'd wish this percentage would be more because though Tyler Barron has left the program, you bring back your entirety of your defensive front pretty much, minus Karak Garland, who was never really a star. Uh, so you wish that percentage would be a little bit more. And the percent of, uh, percentage of returning sacks, 8%. And yes, Tyler Barron had six, but you bring back Omar Norman Lott, who had five and a half. You bring back Tyler, or uh, excuse me, James Pierce, who had what, by season's end, what was it, nine and a half, ten? I can't even remember. Um, but you wish that percentage was a little bit more. ESPN's Bill Conley ranks Tennessee's defensive returning production at 66th in the country at 58%. So, one other thing before we get to Ryan Shumpert. Bill Conley kind of breaks these down into tiers in terms of most likely to improve in 2024, like we talked about with Missouri and Michigan and Kansas and some of those other teams at the top of this segment. He also breaks it down in most likely to regress in 2024 in terms of teams that don't have a whole lot of returning production. Tennessee's in this group. All right, he says 14th in the SP Plus rankings in 2023, 94th in returning production overall in 2024. This is what ESPN's Bill Conley says. Tennessee was all over the place in 2023, losing three SP Plus top 10 teams by an average score of 36 to 12. That's not great. But otherwise, going 9-1 and one and with mostly comfortable wins. It was a bit of a reloading year after 2022's 11-win breakthrough, but it appears 2024 might require further reloading. Everyone's excited about the possibilities of blue-chip quarterback Nico Iamaliava, replacing the outgoing Joe Milton III, but, that's still, but that will still produce a drop in experience levels, which is true. Um, you're not getting a transfer from the portal that started elsewhere to come in and take Joe Milton's spot. So in terms of these rankings, again, it's easy to see why they're dropped a little bit because you're losing a starting quarterback. Uh, but we'll still produce a, a drop in experience levels. And despite the addition of explosive two-lane receiver Chris Brazel II, the, the skill corps defensive line and secondary will start the 2024 season relatively unproven thanks to both NFL departures and transfers. Okay, you're getting back Brew McCoy, who was injured last year. Squirrel White's coming back. He's really solid. Um, Dante Thornton, I hear you, was a, was a bust last year, but he was starting to turn the corner towards the end of the season. Chris Brazel has not done it at this level, but he comes in with some productions. And, oh, yeah, you bring in a five-star Mike Matthews. I don't know if I would agree with that wide receiver notion there, and I especially don't agree with defensive line. You lose Tyler Barron. Good player. Six sacks last year. Good player. Contract year. He went and did what he needed to do. You bring back James Pierce. You bring back Omar Norman Law, and you bring back everybody else on that defensive front. I disagree with that wholeheartedly. I think the defensive line is going to be fine. So, anyway, I find it interesting it's just something to talk about. It's not the end-all, be-all. Remember, Alabama was ranked in the 100s last year in overall returning production. It made it to the 14 college football playoff. Uh, but Bill Conley has, in terms of returning production for Tennessee, 
Overall, the 94th team in the country at 52%. Offensively, 46% of its production returns. It's ranked 107th. And defensively, 58% of its return, 58% of its production returns, and that is 66 in the country. So something to talk about. Not the end all be all, but it is interesting to look at it that way. Hey, let's talk to Ryan Shumpert, Rocky Top Insider. We're going to talk Tennessee basketball as it gets ready to go at Texas A&M. Last couple of uh, games of the SEC schedule, or really last couple of games before the true home stretch of the SEC schedule. Uh, what needs to happen there and Tennessee baseball season opener is next week, a week from today. All that and more. It's coming up next as we continue on here on Locked on Balls. I want to tell you about our friends over at FanDuel Sportsbook. Super Bowl 58, it is this weekend. In the season with a W on the biggest game of the year, the biggest stage of the year. You got totals, you got spreads, you got over-unders, you got all that fun stuff. Plus individual prop bets, been talking about it all week, but <laughs> you know... Not even the casualest football fans, maybe even non-football fans that want to make some money will get in on those individual prop bets, Gatorade color at the end of the game, link to the national anthem, the coin toss is going to be heads or tails, 50%. Is the first play going to be a run or a pass? 50%. I mean, have fun indulging yourself in those individual prop bets. It's one of the favorite things I like to do every single Super Bowl. And plus, if you're a new customer over at FanDuel Sportsbook, you can get $200 in bonus bets if your first bet is at $5 or more wins. Just visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to sign up. That is FanDuel.com slash locked on. Make every moment more with FanDuel. It's an official sportsbook partner of the NFL. Ryan Shumpert of Rocky Top Insider will join us next. All right, bringing on to the show Ryan Shumpert of Rocky Top Insider. Ryan, appreciate you for being here, man. It's an exciting time right now for Tennessee uh, basketball. Tennessee baseball is about to start. How you doing today here on this Friday? I'm doing well. Appreciate you having me on. Tell me what Tennessee needs to do to handle business down on the road, down in College Station on the road against Texas A&M, coming off a 20-point win where a 13-0 run made it a little interesting late against LSU, but overall Tennessee handled business. I would point to really playing defense without fouling. I think it's going to be the big thing in this A&M game. That really is what got him in trouble last year at Texas A&M. Wade Taylor, who's the Aggie star, is one of the best in the conference at getting to the foul line and drawing fouls. And I, I think what we've seen Tennessee maybe have some issues with is their defense is kind of a hilarious a quick aside. of feels like their defense is struggling or, or playing worse and still fifth in adjusted defensive efficiency, according to Ken Palm. That's how high the standard's been. And, and a lot of those issues have been fouling and getting guys in foul trouble. And with as conservative as Rick Barnes oftentimes plays guys or plays with it with guys that pick up two fouls in the first half, like that just feels like the thing that could throw Tennessee off. And then, you know, on the other end, offensively, I think it's about getting what you've gotten in the last two games of just having some balance and having some guys uh, other than Dalton Connect step up. And uh, I would especially just say Zakai Ziegler and Dalton Connect, when those two guys are, are playing well and they've probably been Tennessee's two best players in SEC play. When they have things going, uh, and not even necessarily at their best, but when they're playing well at, at to their capabilities, Tennessee's offense is going to be be tough to stop. Yeah, we'll get to the good here in a moment, but one stat that was just glaring from the other night, and again, Tennessee cruised. You know, uh, They made a run there at the end, but Tennessee still led by 10. I mean, won by 20 points, but Tennessee got bullied uh, on the boards down low. I mean, it was I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it was quite the disparity there. Uh, what's the biggest reason for that? Dalton Connect career high? or maybe at least a Tennessee high of seven rebounds. Rick Barnes said it should have been 11 post game, but um, what was the biggest reason why Tennessee just got beat up on the boards? Uh, 18 to five, I think was the number in terms of offensive rebounds that went to LSU instead of Tennessee, but yet Tennessee, because of shooting over 50%, 
that wasn't a really big uh, of an issue. You're right. It, it was very glaring. I mean, you especially say you said at 18 offensive rebounds for LSU, 21 defensive rebounds for Tennessee. So it was about 50 50 uh, when LSU missed a shot, who was coming down with it. And it was, you know, I don't know what I would point to for the one thing. LSU has been a pretty good offensive rebounding team, not a very good defensive rebounding team in Tennessee, only five, like you said, five offensive rebounds. So I don't know if I would point to, to one thing. Now the guys that you expect for Tennessee to have a lot of rebounds, Josiah Jordan James, had five. Jonas Adu had five. Tobey Awaka had one. So their best rebounders didn't rebound very well. I don't know if it's as simple as that or not. Obviously, you give LSU credit, but that was early in the season. Maybe one of the biggest question marks I had for this team was how how could they rebound playing the, these small ball lineups? And they had some issues early in the year, but since then, they've been really good, especially on the offensive glass, and they've been average defensively, but it hasn't been an issue like it was last night. So uh, I think I write it off to being more of a, a one-off performance, but certainly Texas A&M is a team with with some size and really attacks the glass hard. That I'm sure that'll be number one emphasis from Rick Barnes leaving the LSU game and heading into tomorrow's showdown in College Station. Yeah, I mean, Donald Connect's been incredible this year. He's been so much fun to watch, and um, it's it's been really, really cool to see him kind of integrate himself in, in this Tennessee team and lead this Tennessee team for much of the season. But, man, Zakai Ziegler's come on really strong in SEC play. Uh, incredible performance, one for the ages that you're always going to remember against Kentucky. Um, had another nine assists, I believe, the other night. He's playing on fire. However, and, and again, it's not like it was five, ten years ago when it was – much different than what it is now. I mean, coming off an ACL ACL tear, it's it's not as dire as it once was, but he continues to play so many minutes. And then you try to get in some young guys like Cam Carr and, and kind of mix up those lineups there towards the end, and then a team goes on a run like that. But any worry that Sakai and some of these other guys are playing too many minutes right now? I mean, like Dalton Connect at the end of games looks dead. Um, and you've got – we know that, that brutal two-game, two-week stretch to end the regular season. Feels like in some of these games over the next little bit – you maybe want to try to bring some guys off the bench and rest some of your starters when given the opportunity. It's the one thing that kind of just overhangs all of it, I think. And, you know, part of me does agree with that. I feel like they're having to play Dalton and Zakai and some games, Jonas, and certainly earlier in the year, Derek's to play Josiah Jordan James more than you would like. But another part of me is kind of like, I don't know, man. So most of these best teams in college basketball, they're playing an eight-man rotation, seven-man rotation. Kansas got five guys they can trust, so it's not ideal. But I don't, I don't know that I hit the panic button about it either. You're certainly not alone uh, in this boat. You know, the one guy, Jordan Ganey, playing well last night, I think is another good sign to be able to give those guys some lesser minutes. And Jemai Meshack's the one that I just both the last two games I've kind of left thinking, why did Jemai Meshack not play more? And yeah. maybe that's me nitpicking in a game, two games that they. Two good wins for him, but he's a guy that I think minutes need to get up in the 20s. He can play a little bit of point guard uh, if need be. Obviously, we saw that at the end of last year. and Maybe it's not being cautious enough because Ziegler did come off the, the ACL tear, but he's got the one guy on his team. I feel like he's just got that dog. of I don't think it's going to bother him too much playing 35 minutes most nights. But Dalton, when you're talking about how much they're putting on him on the offensive end, and obviously he's not the best defender, but Rick Barnes still – you know, high standard for what he's going to give him on that side. He's the one guy that I worry a little bit more about, especially as it's his first year in big time college basketball. Uh, and he, he obviously is the one that has the target on his back and is defended very, very physically. And a lot of attention is put on him every single night. Is it as simple as Jordan Ganey coming out of that slump? Jordan Ganey giving you a lot and playing really well, getting more minutes. The reason why Meshack's minutes have gone down and really 
Santiago Vescovi's minutes have gone down a little bit as well. I think especially with Vescovi it is. And Meshack, I think that's a big part of it. Um, that's where, you know, I would say to me, Meshack, the thing about that is the way Meshack dictates the game with his defense and the fact that he's versatile, that's where I'm like, I don't see the excuse for not playing him. Get to, you know, let him take some of Josiah Jordan James' minutes in. If, you know, Jordan yeah. Ganey and the, the shooting guards and point guards are playing so well that you can't give him a ton of minutes there. Uh, you know, I think he's been right around 15, maybe three straight games now. And to me, what he can do to, to change the game with his defense and the fact that he's versatile, like you just find a spot for him. He'll go. I don't see any reason why he shouldn't be playing 20 minutes every night. All right, last question. Uh, long, long time away. A lot of basketball over the next couple of weeks. We know we talked about it, you know, off air yesterday at the at the stadium that, you know, Tennessee needs to go five and one, six and zero over the course of the next three weeks, and off to a good start with the win over LSU. Um, what will stand in the way of this Tennessee basketball team from making the deep run that it should, given the depth and given the talent that's on this roster? I would point to two things, and really, if you're talking about not making it out of the first weekend, I think it would just have to be a, a terrible shooting performance in a night where Dalton connects struggles, or at least isn't efficient scoring the basketball, and then the guys around him don't make shots. So that's what I would point to first weekend. And now if you're talking about what's keeping him from Making the final four, the other concern to me would be kind of a combination of interior defense against post players and rebounding the ball. It, obviously, Tennessee plays a smaller lineup. Jonas Adu is probably at least one of the best rim protectors when it comes to playing help defense in the country. But, you know, with that slender frame, we've seen him get pushed around by some big guys that are really talented and really physical now you shouldn't see that the first weekend at least a great one because most of those great ones are on teams that are going to be much higher seated but when you get in the second weekend you get in sweet 16 you get in the elite eight there's a good chance you see those guys and when you look tennessee's five losses this year four of them have come against teams that have premier uh, centers that are very physical down low have been able to get into jonas adu's body and push them around a little bit and are also very skilled Opening day for college baseball, it is literally a week away. This time next week, the, the night cap, it'll be Tennessee, somewhere around 8 o'clock Eastern time, taking on Texas Tech in the Shriners Children's Collegiate Baseball Showdown in Arlington, Texas at Globe Life Field. Can't wait to see that in person. So we're going to ask Ryan Shumpert about the Tennessee baseball team and what to expect uh, here when we return as Lockdown Balls continues. All right, Ryan Shumpert, Rocky Top Insider, talking a little Tennessee baseball now as we conclude a week's worth of Lockdown Vols. Uh, the predicted order of finish from the league's 14 head coaches, last year we can say that, 14, it's going to go to 16 next year, and also going to be ditching divisions. Uh, but Tennessee predicted to win or predicted to finish second in the East behind Florida. And overall, SEC predicted order of finish, Arkansas got nine first place votes to win the conference, LSU three, and Florida two. Uh, any surprises, or is this kind of about what you expected? Tennessee second behind Florida in the East, and Arkansas getting the overall nod. About what I expected. I was maybe surprised by the margin in which Arkansas was picked to lead or to win the league, especially considering the fact that yeah, the defending national champions LSU in their own division and a Florida team who made it last year uh, to that title game or title series, and both those teams, especially LSU, have a lot back, and LSU reloaded again in the portal, so. You know, not shocking. Obviously, Arkansas's pitching staff should be the best in the conference, so no major surprise there. And then when you look at Tennessee, I think that was the the predicted area. It felt like Florida was going to be picked to win the East, and then Tennessee and Vanderbilt would be right there in some version of two, three, very close together. And I think it was all of you know two points that separated them, and then a pretty big gap to South Carolina at four. 
Tennessee last year, coming off the historic 2022 campaign, uh, number one overall seed, all that noise, failed to get to Omaha, losing in game three of the Supers here in town to Notre Dame. But um, going into last season, it was preseason ranked, you know, two, three, two, two by most major polls. And, you know, I spoke with Tony Vitello in an interview before last season. He was like, man, that is that is not where we need to be. That is not, I mean, we're replacing everybody. And you look around the horn, you replaced your first baseman, your second baseman, your third baseman, your, your shortstop, your uh, backstop. Um, but you did bring back pitching. This year, you bring back a lot of experience. You add in the transfer portal, but the biggest questions are on the mound. We'll get to that in a moment. But most of these national polls have Tennessee as high as five, but you know, eight from the coaches' poll, eight from Baseball America, ninth from D1 Baseball, 11th from Perfect Game. I feel like that is more where this team should be compared to you know last year when they were over overranked. Yeah, I think the pitching and coming off the big season is why they were so high last year. And you're right, Tony yeah. Vitello was. He was telling anybody to listen. He was hollering from the mountaintops that they were not the second-best team in the country before the year, and obviously he was proved correct early on. And I think you just have to like – and I know we'll get into the pitching a little bit more in a minute. I think you just have to like the dynamic of a really deep lineup with some proven guys, you know, a handful of proven guys at the top. Now, not all of them at Tennessee. Obviously, Cannon Peebles and Billy Amick, two guys that are expected to be some of the best bats in this Tennessee order. But an offense that you feel like is really, really good – and a pitching staff that has some questions, has some depth, but has one really good guy you know for sure in Drew Beam and certainly a really, really talented second guy in A.J. Russell. We'll see what he looks like with an increased workload. And you just feel like Frank Anderson's going to figure it out. And he, he always does. He's one of the best pitching coaches in the country, I think, every year but his first here at Tennessee, which is, you know he's been there t- Tony Vitello's whole tenure. Tennessee's had a top five pitching st- staff in ERA, most of those years top ten. Uh, I like the formation – kind of like you said, flip-flopped of last year, where you have the high-end offense that can maybe make a deeper push if you do get to Omaha. It can carry you a little bit early in SEC play, um, but enough pieces uh, on the mound and a couple really talented guys to hopefully lead Tennessee uh, early in the season or be a big boost for them and certainly a veteran pitching coach that can push all the right buttons and get all the pieces to fit the well, well together. Yeah, hoping to find out more information over this weekend. They'll have a couple of scrimmages, and it's going to be almost like a dress rehearsal, if you will, where they'll have like the ones in one lineup going up against the, you know, as close as they can get at like a Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, guys. So it'll be like the pitchers throwing to the ones and, and vice versa. Um, so maybe we'll know the, more about this on Monday and Tuesday. But at the time of this recording, man, I mean, I, I still don't know what it's going to look like. I mean, Drew Beam – there's value, to, and I get where a lot of people are saying got to keep him on Sundays, but it would make absolutely no sense for Drew Bean to be the Sunday guy this year. Make no sense. Um, in my opinion, he'll, he's got to be Friday or, or Saturday. Uh, but even if that's the case, we know about A.J. Russell, but who's going to be that third guy? I think that there's going to be a couple of guys that begin the season. Um, couldn't tell you right now who that would be in Dallas next weekend, but I think Derek Schaefer, a true freshman, is going to get some run. When he's stretched out, I think Matthew Dallas will get some run. Uh, potentially you could see A.J. Causey, which, man, I want him in the bullpen so bad, but he's an option to, to start you some games, especially early on. You got Xander Seacrest. So what do you like about this starting group that's kind of coming together in terms of maybe what it could look like next weekend? You're right. It, it's a ton of different options. And, you know, to me, if I, again, I, I don't know, but my prediction here, eight days out would be that you would see – Xander Seacrest be the guy uh, in this opening weekend. We've seen Tony trust the veterans in the past, trust the guys that have been in the program who've worked hard and earned it. And I think 
while a lot of those other guys have higher ceilings than Xander, I think Xander has some experience. Obviously, he's been the midweek starter. He's pitched some bullpen innings in the SEC. And I th- think the comparison I'd make of what you almost ideally hoped you could do with him is what Tennessee did with Will Heflin in 2021, where you weren't asking a ton out of him. It was, you're going to go two times through the lineup, give up, you know, you give up two or three runs, we're going to be right in the game. And I think that's really all you're going to be asking of a Sunday guy or whoever Tennessee's third starter is. And, you know, Nate Snead, I think, is probably the guy to Wichita State transfer that has the highest ceiling. But when you talk about a Tennessee bullpen, that's really going to be flipped from last year and having a lot more lefty arms and right-handed arms. And Snead's kind of high-level stuff, it feels like he fits really well in the bullpen. And would that's almost a way that if you can get Xander and Causey could be another option too. If you can get one of those guys to be solid for you, in the weekend rotation, maybe Sneed maximizes your potential uh, coming out of the bullpen and being able to use him multiple days in a weekend series. Yeah, I mean, you know, he's not going to be Chase Burns, but a hundred mile an hour, you know, fastball worked really well out of the bullpen last year for Tennessee. So, yeah. <laughs> and, and you're exactly right. Where Tennessee didn't have many lefties out of the pen last year, got an abundance this year. You, you almost yep. want that flamethrower right hander to, to to be at your disposal. So, we'll see what happens. And, and you're right. I mean, I think Xander's a guy that. You know, could could be in there to begin the season, um, and then maybe you, you give a shot to uh, you know a Schaefer or to a Matthew Dallas down the line. You know, we'll see. I mean, again, plenty of options, and what what you see this upcoming weekend might not be what you see the following weekend. Um, offensively, last question: Who who's the X factor for this baseball team? I think it's an easy answer for me at least, but you can go a couple different ways. Who's the X factor? Tennessee will go as this player goes, uh, position player wise. Well, it's funny. We actually, RTI, we recorded our season preview podcast, and we're talking about the same thing. To me, the two guys I'd go, one to me is more obvious, is Blake Burke, just because you know he's going to be in there, and we've seen him at his best, man. He was really, really good. And in SEC play last year, he really, really struggled. And now they have some more options behind him this year. If he were to struggle the same way, they might put a turn Yeah, they had, to. they had no options last year. <laughs> no, they didn't. They could turn to a, a Robin, or they could turn to Dalton Bargo. Um but still, you know, he's the guy you, you think is going to be in there. He's the junior. He's the proven guy. This is where you look for a leap. And we know when Blake Burke is good, Blake Burke is really, really good. Yes. And kind of in the same way, another guy I'd point to is Hunter Ensley in center field. The ceiling isn't as high, but when you're talking about Tennessee lineup, that really besides whoever ends up starting one of the middle infield spots besides Christian Moore, every other bat in there, all seven other guys besides that and Ensley, you know can really be top-end bats. Hunter Inslee, he was solid last year. He was really reliable. If he finds another gear, I think you're talking about a Tennessee offense that can be one of the best in the country. Um, and, and, you know, again, it's obviously his, I think his floor is pretty high. I think we already saw that last year. So, you know, maybe if he struggles, you know, it's not as much they'll go as he goes. But I think if he can take another step forward, he's a guy you know is going to be in there uh, in the lineup every single day. I think that just gives a, another burst to a Tennessee offense that should be real vastly improved over last season and one of the SEC's best. All right, I'll have one more question. Uh, because of the injuries, obviously there's a lot going on at, at shortstop right now, but of the three games next weekend, how many of those games will Christian Moore get the start at shortstop? I'm going to say two. And then I think the other, if he's at short, I do think Bradkey Lowry will be at second. I think it's just going to be those two guys flip-flopping around. I would agree the same way. I would probably say two with more. It'll be two or three. I don't think it'll be any less than two. And to me, that's what becomes interesting. It, whatever games Moore doesn't start at short, I think it'll definitely be Bracky Lowry. To me, he's by far, with Antigua out, the next best option at short. If you play Moore at short, 
does somebody else get an opportunity at second? Does uh, Alex Perry or Camden Bates maybe get a get a chance? And I don't know that. Maybe it'll be Bracky Lowry at second too. Uh, but I think with more at short, that opens up the possibility for maybe some more guys to get opportunities. Yeah, and where's Alex Perry? You know, health wise, he he's been hitting this week, but he's been dealing with a tender hamstring like everybody else in that yep. situation. So I think when everybody's healthy, Christian Moore is your second baseman, but. You enter the season, and again, it's better to have this now than in, in May and June. You enter the season a little bit banged up at shortstop. So, uh, Ryan, a lot of great stuff over there. Rocky Top Insider crossover season. It's, it's beginning for you. Uh, basketball and, and baseball coming up. What, what do we have looked forward to over on the site uh, this afternoon and this weekend? Yeah, tons of uh, Tennessee basketball stuff. Baseball stuff will start rolling out. All our previews starting on Monday. We'll have one a day leading up to it. Jack Foster will be in Arlington for the uh, opening weekend, and I'll be covering uh, all the basketball stuff. So plenty of stuff there. Had a feature, kind of feature-ish story, maybe not quite a feature story on Wednesday on uh, how Dalton Connect and Jemai Meshack playing one-on-one on Dalton Connect's visit to Tennessee was kind of the first indication that uh, Connect could be this guy for Tennessee that he's become. So uh, go check that out. And then obviously, like I said, plenty of basketball and baseball stuff is, like you said, we uh, entered that fun crossover season in uh, February and into March. Go check that story out at RockyTopInsider.com. Give Ryan a follow at rshump00 on Twitter, on the X. Ryan, thanks so much, man. Yeah, appreciate you having me on. All right, that is going to do it here for this edition of Locked On Vols. Can't thank you enough for being here and uh, making me a part of your morning routine. Again, it's a free download. It's a free subscription wherever you get your podcasts and, of course, on YouTube as well. Stay safe this weekend. We'll see what Tennessee does on the basketball court. We'll see if we get some more answers to Tennessee baseball as we roll into opening week. All that and more. Plus, the court hearing on Tuesday. We'll have you covered from every single angle right here on Lockdown Balls. Appreciate you guys so much and enjoy the rest of your weekend, everybody.